I believe that Paul is illustrating the concept of giving up your rights for the sake of your brother with his own uh, actions. And uh, he focuses on the rights he has. And basically he says, I gave them up. So chapter 9, look at verses 1 and 2. Somebody want to read that? Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, yet at least I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Right. Paul is going to deal with two basic points from 9 1 to 9 23. One of them is, Am I not free? Second one is, Am I not an apostle? Now, he's going to say that he gave up the rights he had as an apostle, and the right he had to be free. But before he can give up a right, he has to have the right. It would be hard to give up a right you don't have. And so he insists that he had the right as an apostle to be supported. He is here using his life as a model. Paul does that a lot. Paul wanted people to imitate his life. Paul was very conscientious in his service to God. So he says, I am an apostle. After all, have I not seen our Lord? Why would he say that? Well, that was one of the criteria for being an apostle. You couldn't be an apostle if you were not a witness of the resurrection because the apostolic work was to be a witness of the resurrection. But he had seen the Lord, remember, on the road to Damascus. And are you not my work in the Lord? They are actually the fruit of his apostolic work. And they are the very last people then who could reasonably question his claim. If he is not a true apostle, then they are not a true church. Because he is the one that brought them the gospel and brought them into the Lord. You know, if to others I'm not an apostle, surely I am to you. What are you if I'm not? So Paul is really legitimately an apostle. Now, there may be a sense in which Paul is accomplishing two things in this. He's defending his apostleship and his stance regarding money, and he's saying, I gave up my right to support as an apostle. You ought to be willing to give up your quote-unquote right to eat idleness. So that's the introduction. He is saying, I'm free, I'm an apostle. But I gave up the perks of apostleship in the next section, and I gave up my freedom in the following section for the sake of my brethren. I am exhibit A and B. By giving up my apostolic rights and my freedom rights, uh, then, then I am... Uh, I have that, that I'm, I'm free, uh, or I, I've given up my freedoms, I've given up my rights for the sake of my brethren. Thoughts and comments? All right, verses 3 to 14. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? 
Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does He not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, that we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are, are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Alright, so here is Paul's defense. Now, it's really important if you're going to make a big point about relinquishing your right to establish that you have that right. Uh, if, if, you, if it's not clear that you have the right, then giving it up is really kind of unimportant. So he makes the point they absolutely have, Paul absolutely has the right to be supportive. He says, do we not have a right to eat and drink, verse 4. Notice, the word right is the key, key word they keep using and he keeps going back to. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? That is, at the brethren's expense. Do we have the right to eat and drink off the brethren? Do we not have a right to take along the believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Again, I don't think he means don't we have the right to get married. There's not anybody who's going to deny that. But don't we have the right to uh, have a, a sister as a wife supported by the brethren? When churches support a preacher... They support him and his family. Perhaps you could make an argument that you shouldn't support a preacher and his family if his wife is not a believer. But at least if she is a sister, then you can support not only him and his own personal uh, needs, but support him and his family. And uh, he, he has, he had, so Paul could legitimately claim even money for the support and maintenance of a wife if he had one. So he, he could ask for support for himself and and a wife were, were he to have one, just like the other apostles do, just like the brothers of the Lord do, just like Cephas does. Now that's an important thought in connection with the Catholic Church's claim. The Catholic Church teaches that Peter was the first pope. Popes take a vow of celibacy. I think it's inaccurate to say that popes could never be married. I don't believe that's Catholic theology. But if they are married, they have to give up their relationship with their wife before they were to become a pope. Well, here's the problem with Peter. Obviously, we know he was married. He had a mother-in-law. It's really hard to get one of those without being married. <laughs> but it's not just that he was married. It's that he continued to lead about this sister or wife. He continues to live in that relationship with her. Of course, I believe biblically it would be wrong for somebody 
to abandon their wife for some spiritual purpose. We really covered that back in chapter 7, verse 5. That could only be done under mutual consent for a limited period of time. But, but here, clearly, Peter is continuing to lead about his wife and be supported and have her uh, supported as well in the sense that he provides for her. Or he says, do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Are we the only ones that, that would have to support ourselves? Why, why can't we be exercise our right of being supported and quit working just like the others have? And then he just really nails down the right to be supported. Now again, in this context, he's doing that primarily to make a big deal about the fact he gave up a right that was a full, total, complete right that he had. So the more he can show what a logical right he had to this, the more it means that he didn't exercise it. So he says, look, verse 7, if you're a soldier, do you get paid? If you're a vineyard planter and keeper, don't you eat your grapes? If you are a pastor, don't you get to drink the milk of the flock? Or whatever. Don't you get paid for your work? Those are pretty natural examples. Aren't the people of God like an army? Like a vine? Like a flock? And, and when you think about paying a preacher, I think people misunderstand that sometimes. And they think of preacher support as being benevolent. Benevolence. Well, you know, this preacher doesn't have any money. We don't give him some, so we'll give him some just so he's not destitute. I think the point is he gets a salary for his work. Now, Paul's going to say he didn't, but he had the right to. That's his point. And just like a soldier or a vineyard keeper or, or a shepherd, they have the right to be supported. He says, isn't that what the law also says when it says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing? You know, the oxen would thresh the grain, but you weren't allowed to cover the road so they couldn't eat. You know, they had the right to eat while they were working. Now he says, is that for the oxen who said that? I mean, after all, oxen can't even breathe. You know, he's really, the, the point is deeper than that. They shouldn't have muzzled oxen's mouths while they were threshing, but really there's a lesson in that. And the lesson is that God believes you have the right to eat off of your work. And, and he says, if we sow spiritual things, in verse 11, is it too much if we read material things from you? That's almost the point made in a different context in Romans 15, 27. And, and the idea is, which is more, to give the gospel or to give money? Well, obviously the gospel is worth, worth more than the money. If we gave you the gospel, is it really too much to ask for you to give us the money to support us to be giving the gospel? And he says, other people, verse 12, are being paid by you. Why not us? Uh, but we did not use this right. And he has no intention of using that right. He's proving the right not as sort of a hint, come on guys, get with the program, but he's proving the right to say, I choose, chose, and will choose not to use my right. There is a right I have that I'm giving up because I don't think it's the best thing in this circumstance. He said, 
the priests, did they get to eat off of the sacrifices? You remember that uh, passage in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, where except for the burnt offering, all the other types of offerings, the priest got his share. That was a part of, of the law. The priests get to eat off of their work. And furthermore, in verse 14, the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So that's just the Lord's will. That's what he directed. So he is proving, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he has the right to be supported. Now, he gave up that right, verse 12, so as not to cause a hindrance to the gospel of Christ. You know, we are too worried about our rights. And preachers sometimes are too focused on their rights, almost develop a professional mentality instead of being concerned supremely with the gospel itself. You know, right to being supported or not, my goal is to do what's best in the gospel. There may be some circumstances where what's best in the gospel is to not use my rights. That certainly needs to be a consideration. The, the point here is not, can I prove I've got the right? But Paul's example is you do what's best. So there are rights we have that we may have absolutely the right, but we sacrifice them. That's an especially strong point about the idol deeds. Because as we are going to ultimately see, they didn't even have the right. So if you give up rights for the sake of your brethren, how much more you ought to give up idol meats that he'll tell us in chapter 10 you don't have the right to eat. But that's uh, for chapter 10. So comments and questions down through verse 14. The right that Paul had to be supported. Yeah. Why does he mention Barnabas in verse 6? What connection would he have to make that? You know, that's a good question. I don't know for sure why is there some particular thing with Barnabas and their relationship with him. You know, I don't know. Obviously, Paul himself was from time to time associated with Barnabas in his work, but he wasn't in Corinth as far as we know. So I don't know. It's a good question. Anybody know an answer to that question? Other co questions or comments on this passage? That is a good point. He is referred to as an apostle in Acts 14. Question mark there, is he an apostle of the church in Antioch or an apostle of Jesus Christ? I'm not sure on that one. But yes, that may be the case. Um, Mike? He also chose not to exercise his right at some point. And they would know about that, though we may not have some kind of record of that particular So that brings it out the same Yes, I think he is saying, at least that, that he and Barnabas could have chosen to refrain from working and have been supported, but they weren't. Maybe he did choose Barnabas because he was well known not to receive support on occasions. That would make sense. I can see that. Good point. Other thoughts, comments, questions here through 914? Yeah. Is 
Paul saying that he gave up this right in connection to the Corinth church, or just in general, this is a right that he has not chosen to uh, exercise? I believe he gave the right up in connection with receiving support from the church of Corinth. Because we know he received support from the Philippian church various times. And we know in 2 Corinthians 11 that while he was in Corinth, he robbed other churches taking wages of them to serve the Corinthian church. So Paul has not taken some kind of vow as to never be supported. Though we do know also he made tents quite often. He, he worked in leather. But, but, but he, in connection with the church of Corinth, has determined he will not receive their support. Yes. Do we ever see Paul receiving funds from a church that he's currently working with in the location that he's working? I don't think we do. I don't know that that's particularly significant. Um, The significance of that might be, you know, I think the principle of the gospel is you don't charge for your preaching. Paul often went to a new city and pioneered the gospel. To start charging them might be a little inappropriate. It would be more reasonable to receive help from churches that have already been established and brethren have already gotten some conviction of maturity. Uh, but, but no, I don't think you do. Other questions or comments? Yes, Brian. I, I find it interesting too is uh, conversation with my <clears throat> Later on he'll say, I could tell you to do this, but I'm going to give up that right to so do it for the right reason. And it seems that same thread going through here, I could tell you to stop eating meat altogether, um, but I'm going to want you to do this for the right reason, and again, that helping out the brothers. Yes, and he certainly wants them to understand principles and think through principles. Sometimes we may be too quick to want to teach bottom lines. Because it's safer, you know, I know it's better for you not to do this, and you do this, and... And we may just try to kind of teach people, okay, here's, here's the application. But the problem is, if we teach application and not the principle, people learn the application maybe by rote, but if they don't know the principle, A, will they apply it in other situations where it ought to be applied? And B, will they stay firm in the application if they don't even understand the principle it's based on? It is more difficult, I think, to teach principles and to lead people to draw the correct conclusions than to just say, here are the rules. Just keep these. But Paul often taught principles. Try teaching his epistles. And you realize, whoa, this is not mostly a list of rules of do's and don'ts. There's a lot more depth that he's trying to help them understand and and really have a deeper grasp of why and what the what the heart is that leads to this. That's just a challenge. But I think it's a really good lesson for us to make sure that we're not just trying to shortcut the process and just tell the people, just do it this way, don't worry about why. Yes, money. Certainly. Yeah. 
We want them to see what the scriptures are saying and to be coming from the scriptures in their making the application, not just saying, well, Gary said this, this is what we'll do. That, that's a temptation. And people sometimes are looking for you just to tell them. You know, just tell me what to do. That's all I want to know. Well, that may not be sometimes. I think we have to resist the urge to tell them. Sometimes I just said, I'm not going to make an application. I'll do that on some things this week. And some of you won't like it. <laughs> but I don't think our, our job is to always just tell everybody, here's all the applications I think you ought to make. Other thoughts? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Pharisees are, you know, quite an example. Read the Mishnah sometime. Big book, close, close lettering, and I don't know. There's some. I think there's like 100 pages on the Sabbath rules. It's crazy. But it's it's trying to make sure nobody violates it. So we'll make all the applications. We'll answer all the questions. We'll come up with all the situations, and we'll do that kind of out away from the law, even so we build a hedge around it so nobody can get in to break it. You know, that's safe. But it's not safe. It's dangerous. It seems like it's more secure. Because we got every situation covered. We've got all the laws down. But that's not the way God chose to express himself. You know, it reminds me of this. You know, think about how the New Testament has even less specific um, rules and regulations. I remember years ago, a fine young man came to me and said, look, I want to know how much I ought to give. I'll show you what I make, I'll show you what my expenses are, and you tell me how much I ought to give. <laughs> you know, you can understand why somebody feels that. He wanted to make sure he had it right. He was very conscientious, very black and white kind of a guy. And he wanted to make sure he didn't cheat the Lord. And so he just wanted me to tell him, Here's the rule. <laughs> I did not choose to do it though. Other comments? Okay. Um, let's do one more section here and then we'll take a break. Uh, 15 to 18. Voluntarily giving up the right, a right. 
Because of Paul's special call by God, he was obligated to preach. He had no choice about that. But he wasn't obligated to preach for free. That was a voluntary sacrifice that he could make to preach without charging for it. And he wanted to be able to make that sacrifice. His reward was in being able to renounce that right. You know, to renounce preaching would have been to go against God's call and defy the Lord's orders. But it wasn't a requirement that he give up the support. He could have received it and it would have been okay. So that's a voluntary sacrifice he made for the sake of the gospel. And he is determined nobody's going to stop him from not taking their money. He has the right, but he doesn't choose to exercise it. Thoughts and comments on that? Mike? It's interesting, the word that you used as a voluntary sacrifice. Being a voluntary sacrifice shows the love behind why he's doing it. If he made the sacrifice grudgingly or of necessity, then it wasn't really from the heart. And that's showing the kind of mentality that they should have in thinking of their neighbor and thinking of their brother in giving up of these things that actually aren't their right to give up. Amen. Very good point. Yeah, when we love, we do extravagant things because we want to. Yes, Tim. Paul didn't want to be seen 
as somebody who was preaching for the money. And really, in 2 Corinthians, he didn't want to set a pattern that could be used by the false teachers to exploit them. Paul was determined to have a contrast between him and the false teachers. The false teachers were just determined to get all the money they could, and Paul refused to accept any. So I think that, that may be more of the idea there.